0: good morning church yeah I know I know Uh, (laughs) you put on a coat my name is Dean by the way I I preach here from time to time (laughs) Uh, I I will I will say this my my mom got me this coat a while back Uh, our own Josh Rankin made it JWR clothier the best men's clothier in town this sermon brought to you by just kidding (laughs) I, do, I really do love seeing people in their place of business and work. We have the opportunity to go. Josh is a great guy. But honestly, he is on planet Earth to help people step into who they are and just what they wear. And it's a beautiful thing. I love that he does that. Uh, again, my mom helped me. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be able to buy Josh's done. But, but honestly, we came home one day, and Melanie and I were talking. She's like, you know, you ought to wear that church one time, just like freak people out. <laughs> now, now, listen, I will say this. I will say this. I know what you're doing. Some of you will come up and say, well, wow, don't you look lice now? And I know what you're saying. You normally don't. I get that. <laughs> but but honestly, just quickly, it's not about me. I do want to say this. Honestly, I, there is a reason. Sometimes you hear the longer story. I, I dress kind of mid-level or whatever here. Honestly, in my heart, that's not to be like casual or whatever thing about God. I don't ever want any obstacle between somebody coming here feeling comfortable as they are and knowing Jesus. We've got people that dress beautifully and that's cool. Literally come as you are. But I also, I've thought about this because I know mom's probably watching this. Thank you, mom. Um, and I would wear it on Mother's Day, but gonna be hot. I ain't going to wear it on Mother's Day. So, but, but I do know this. I honestly am doing this in part. You'll see why uh, a little bit. Just want to honor our senior saints. And I do know there are some people that grew up in the setting where your preacher dressed up and we all dressed up. Honestly, I mean this with the depth of my heart. Two things I'll say. First of all, I'm wearing this because I love you. And and I I know some people actually enjoy that. And I just, it's a simple thing. I just want to say I love you. And that's kind of a statement of that. Second thing, don't get used to it. All right? (laughs) right. Okay. Anyway, enough about it. So we've been doing this series on Ephesians where where we're, we're looking in the mirror and letting God tell us who we are in Christ. Who are we and why are we here in this planet? Beautiful book, Divided in Half, first three chapters tell us who we are in Christ, this glorious picture of our identity. And then the last three invites us to live that identity out. And a way that we went about the last three chapters, we'll finish that today, is to just ask this question. If we are all these incredible things that God says that we are, why do we not always feel that way? Why do we not always experience that in our lives? And so the last couple of weeks, we looked at, and we just picked a couple examples of the identity. So two weeks ago, God tells us we're rich in Christ. We are abundantly rich spiritually in Christ. Why is it that we feel impoverished sometimes? And we heard Paul say, look, the fullness of the riches of Christ comes only when each one of us gives our gifts to each other. We receive and we give. And sometimes I'm not experiencing the richness of the body of Christ because I haven't received the giftedness from my brothers and sisters for some reason or other. We talked about that. A couple weeks ago, last week, we asked the question, why is it if we are alive with the resurrection power of Jesus, why is it that we don't feel like we're alive? Sometimes we feel lifeless. And we said last week, we saw that sometimes even though we're in this new country, we call being in Christ, we're living like the old country. We're carrying around the baggage of our old self. So we're saved and, and we're in Christ, but we're still carrying that old self around. Paul says, put that off and put on Christ, imitate Christ and those who have walked in the footsteps of Jesus before us. So that's what we talked about last week. And then this week we're going to come to one more of those identity promises. And ask the question why do we not experience that sometimes. And is God's response to it. So if you have your Bibles, or your devices. We're classic passage in Ephesians chapter 6. we we'll We're start in verse 10. I encourage you to read all the way through 20. I'll stop probably in verse 18. To get this image. This is the word of the Lord. From the book of Ephesians. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, just to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I was reminded recently of just how little the world around us thinks about our ability to kind of navigate everyday life. Have you ever thought about this? How little the world thinks of your ability and my ability just to do everyday life stuff. One of the places I see this is on the warning labels on products that we buy every day. Have you ever seen some of the warning labels? I just want to share about four or five of them with you that are are just interesting to me. Again, I share this, one of our attorneys came up and said, you got to give me that list <laughs> when they teach product liability. It's kind of funny, there's probably a case behind every one of these. But I want you to think about this. The first one is a Duraflame fireplace log. You get the picture of this? I know some of your men's men, you would never use one of these, but it's a log in a bag, and it's really easy to get it started, right? You know what it says on the warning label? Caution, risk of fire. <laughs> I was, You're kidding me. Oh, okay, didn't know it was going to do that. I love this. Anybody color their hair ever, right? So on hair coloring, here is here is an actual warning on hair coloring. Caution: Do not use as an ice cream topping. <laughs> I know Sarah, you're just thinking about this, sitting down with a whole bowl of bluebell. That'd be great with some L'Oreal, right? I think. It, <laughs> I, I don't know, right? Um, yeah, John, he's down. All right, this is. This is great. Um, we're all gonna need this. So this is important information. We're all gonna need this really soon because summer's coming faster than we think. On a collapsible car shield, it says, caution, do not use sun shield while driving. This is important <laughs> information. Really, you're learning how to drive. This is really important. I know I wrapped my truck around the tree, officer, but I'm just telling you, trying to keep the car cool, right? Young parents, this is critical for a collapsible stroller. Can you guess what they said? Please remove the infant before folding up the stroller. <laughs> That'd be pretty efficient around nap time, right? Just fold it up, put them away. They can sleep, pull it back. Here, the last one is my favorite. This is my favorite by far. You ready for this on Halloween? This is important. On the packaging, for a Batman costume. You ready? Batman costume. Warning, cape does not enable user to fly. Now, there are all sorts of things wrong with this. In no superhero movie ever does the cape make you fly, number one. Secondly, it's Batman. does <laughs> ain't Superman It's Batman. Batman goes grappling hook and bat plane. He does not fly. Do you see how little people think of your ability <laughs> to navigate life? Now, we laugh at this, but you know, some people... I actually wouldn't be offended at this at all because if we're honest in our honest moments, sometimes we don't think too highly about our abilities either. For the important moments, the important things of life, we don't think very highly about our abilities and our powers either. I had this picture in mind, something like this. You imagine, what do you see when you see a picture like this? What do you see when you see someone just hanging by their fingers on the edge of a cliff. You know what I see is the way a lot of people live their lives day in and day out just hanging by a thread. Feeling powerless, feeling weak. We're just kind of hanging on, right? That's the experience a lot of people have in our lives and like why is it now, I think this fits so beautifully in where we are finishing our series because you know, we talked already about, you know, you don't feel rich, even though you are. Why not? You don't feel alive. Why not? And here, so we come this week to say, if, if it is really true that our identity is that in Christ, in Christ only, we are able, in Christ, to be connected to the God who is able to more, do more than we can ask or imagine. You are powerful, what God says. Why is it that we feel so weak and we feel like this, hanging, just on the edge? Why is it? You know, sometimes things, the world will help us understand what's going on in Scripture. And I came across this article some years ago, U.S. News and World Report. And it was studying the effect of people living under a dictator and a tyrant's regime. The main focus of the study, because they had the whole field of study from beginning to the end of his regime and the aftermath, was Saddam Hussein and all the stuff that's gone on in Iraq. But it applies to Hitler and the effect on the Jewish people and Stalin and all that, North Korea, all that. It applies to all of them. But they did these studies and how did people, how were people affected by living for year after year after year under a tyrant's regime? And one of the things they found is these people were lifeless, they were powerless, and they had lost the ability to even stand up and fight for their own freedom. And there's a condition, Sean could probably tell us more about this, it's a condition described as learned helplessness. When you have been exposed to abuse and trauma for a long, long, long period of time, you can actually get trained into being helpless. Now, here's the powerful part of the study. Even after the dictator fell, even after we liberated Iraq, people were still walking around as if they were powerless, as if the dictator and the tyrant was still in charge. I read that article and I read this passage and I think, I wonder if sometimes people are saved and rescued and heaven bound and all of that and we're in Christ. But the problem is we have spiritual learned helplessness. Because the Bible will tell us and... Ephesians says it from beginning to end. We are living in a world that is affected by a tyrant's attacks and regime. There are enemy forces at work in our world. And let's be honest, we live in an intellectual society. We want to act like that stuff isn't real. We've explained it away by mental illness and dysfunction and all of that. And the Bible does not shy away from this reality. We live in a world with an enemy we cannot see. He says it from beginning to end. He talks about it here the spiritual forces of the dark powers of this world. Earlier, he talks about the ruler of the power of the kingdom of the air and all that kind of stuff. And I know, again, we want to be sophisticated and say there's no such thing as a devil and demons and all that stuff. And here's the thing. The Bible's really clear. There's no devil made me do it kind of thing. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, we notice three things that together are the forces that want to take us out here. Right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. All three of those are true. The world. Not that the world is God created to be, and it's not all bad, but there are streams our culture are flowing in that if you just kind of go with the flow, you're going to end up in a place God doesn't want you to be. The world is taking us somewhere. That's a force. The flesh, that's not your body. Paul's description of the flesh is living life on your own strength, your own power, your own instincts, your own wisdom. And Paul says that's like cut flowers. It may look great for a while, but you're disconnected from the roots of the one who made you and you're dead. And he says... There is an enemy out there that you can't see. There is a force called the devil. There are demons. There are spiritual forces at work that we do not see. All of those come together. to just want to take us out. Here's the thing. If we ignore it, we're even more vulnerable. I know I've shared some version of this before, at least in a class setting. But Let me remind you this. It's a day that I never forget because I think about it in passages like this. A friend of mine was on an airplane one time. Flight attendant was going down, offering food and drinks to people. And the guy said, no, thank you. I'm not eating today. And she looked at him and said, oh, are you fasting? He said, yes, I am. She said, great. Are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Satanist. She said, really? He said, yes. Every time this year, did you know this still happens? Every time around this year, I don't know when it is. Every time around this year, followers of Satan fast and pray for a week that Christians... And their relationships are destroyed. Their lives blow up. Their marriages are wrecked. They are praying actively for your life to be wrecked. She came back home and said, we gotta start fasting and praying for our marriage for our people and for our families and all that kind of stuff. Now listen, I don't say that to like freak you out and scare you. I'm just saying, we should not be surprised. There are times you feel weak. Don't be shocked. There are forces actively at work outside in the world and inside in our broken, fallen desires that want to destroy your life not just kind of irritate you a little bit. Make sense? That's why we feel desolate. Now, here's the thing. I don't say all this to start freaking out about devils and demons. Like this is one of the longest chapters in the Bible talking about spiritual warfare. And Paul does not go on and on about the enemy. That's not what I want to do. It's not what the text does. I say all of that to tell you the good news of the text. You hear the good news? Hear this. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. No matter what the enemy is, no matter what you're facing, no matter what it feels like you're hanging on the side of the rope, and I know it sounds like a Bible cliche, but step into this word from God. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He said, I don't want you to be thinking about that image that your life is just hanging there by a a thread. That's not the image. God says, I don't want that image in your life. I want this image in your life. The complete armor of a Roman soldier. People tell us that as Paul was writing this, we know Paul was in prison three times in the letter. He talks about being a prisoner for the Lord. He was in Roman prison, which means every day he looked around him and saw a guy looking like this. And I think the Holy Spirit in his creativity said, oh, let me tell the church this. You think this dude's powerful? Have you looked in the mirror with God as, what God has equipped you with in your life? You have the full armor of God. These are not random things that are listed here. Part of it is the image that was around him. I'll get to that one in a second. Go back. Go back. All right. These are the images in the Roman warfare that are all around him. But it's also the image in the Old Testament. Go read Isaiah chapter 11 sometimes. Just look around several places in the book of Isaiah. It describes the the armor as the armor of God. It's God's armor. So picture like Saul and David, but this time it fits. God says, I'm going to give you my armor and my power. And yes, if we were doing it again today, I think he would do the image of a SWAT riot gear, right? And if you look into it, seriously, it's amazing. Like each piece of of the SWAT riot gear matches with one of the pieces of the ancient armor as well. The point is not the specifics of the armor. This is the point. God says, you're covered and you are armed. You are covered and you are armed. You are more powerful than you know To face all the things that are trying to attack you and take you out in your lives. So let's just make a couple observations about the armor itself. Let's just kind of look at it just a little bit. Big picture, we won't go in great detail in every one. It is a great passage just to pray through. I love thinking about verses behind each one of the elements of the armor. But I want you to think about this. And this, the first one, these images will give us some observations. The first one on the top I want you to focus on is think about this. It hit me for the first time as I'm praying through this and I'm reading through this. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening to a guy from Ozark College kind of talking about the belt. And I realized what he said about the belt is true of all of them. And I went and looked at all of this. Maybe some of this is old hat for some of you, but I never thought about this before. Listen to me. This is so important. The armor, the pieces of armor are not separate little things that we have in our spiritual backpack. Listen to me. The pieces of armor are not separate things. Listen to me. The pieces of armor are a person. You ever thought about that? The armor isn't stuff, the armor is a person. And when you look at each one of the elements, he is saying here with a different metaphor what he says elsewhere about a metaphor of clothes. What does he say in other places? He says, clothe yourself with Christ. Immerse yourself in Christ. Yes, literally in baptism, but in the whole life of Christ. Be surrounded by Christ. Be buried in Christ. Be connected to Christ in the way you live and think and breathe. Now, he says, put on the full armor of God, which is Christ. Now, look at each one. We want just to go through these quickly, may, may not cover every single one, but think about this. What is it that he's talking about when he says, put on the belt of truth? What is truth in the Bible? It's not, hear me, this is so important for church. Truth is not a list of propositions you have to think rightly about. Stop it. That doesn't mean there aren't things we need to think rightly about. Truth is a person. What did Jesus say? John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. Truth has a capital T. It's a person. Yes, Jesus has things that we think right about. And yes, the battle starts in the mind, but it's not about intellectual propositions. Hear me. Once we get this, spiritual warfare changes. I grew up thinking that I had to fight the enemy's attacks by filling my head with facts. Don't misunderstand me. Facts are important. That's not it, though. I need to get close to truth himself who will tell me truth. And yes, he'll reframe and renew my mind. Totally different. Belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. What is that about? First Corinthians 1 verse 30 says that Jesus isn't just someone who gives us righteousness. Guess what it says? Jesus is the righteousness of God. Why is that so important? Stop thinking you'll ever be good enough. You're not. He is. So I'm saddling up, clothing myself with the one who is right. And the rightness comes not from me, but from him. That doesn't mean I blow him off. It means I'm ever increasingly, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, transformed into his image. Fit your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? You know this. God so loved the world that he gave a church. No. He gave a religious institution. No. He gave a bunch of rules to follow. No. God so loved the world. What's the gospel? He gave his son. Jesus is the good news. The faith one might trip you up a little bit more. So faith is certainly something we do and bring to the table. No, not in Ephesians, not in Romans. Yes, there's a place for our faith, but that's not the rescue part of the armor. Romans 3.22, this is deep stuff, all right? So we'll get past this fast, but you got to see this. It says the righteousness that comes from God comes by faith. And a lot of our translations say in Christ. The only problem with that is that's not what the Greek says. You don't have to be a Greek to go to heaven, as Randy Harris has said before. You just want to understand what they're talking about when they get there. It's okay. Just kidding, just kidding. All right, so what does it say in the Greek? The righteousness of God comes by the faith, hear me, of Christ. That one little word changes everything. In other words, when the enemy attacks me because I don't have enough faith for God, you know what I say, but I know the dude who does. I am in Christ, not because of my faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness faith is a gift isn't that what it said in Ephesians 2 verse 8 you're saved by grace through faith and by the way this grace and faith is not from yourselves so that you could boast it is the gift of God and you go on down the list okay we don't want to go to everyone the last one is the word of God the word of God is not a book yes this is the word of God and inspired word of God but the word of God first is not a book what is it John 1:1. in the beginning was what The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God the Son. Jesus is the expression and the Word of God. Hear me, the armor of God is a person. Christianity is not about facts and you working really hard and then go and study each one of the armor. Okay, i got to go work really hard on faith now, and i got to work hard on this. No, embrace Jesus in every passive and possible way of your life. So that's one observation. Second one is this, the last two images on the bottom there. There are two, you maybe heard this before, there are two offensive weapons in the arsenal here, so to speak. And I don't want to make too much of the metaphor on that. Boy, you could blast somebody with a shield and crack them with your armor and all that. But the two offensive weapons are the word of God and prayer. Please don't say prayer isn't part of it because it, Paul lays off the metaphor there. Five times in three verses from 18 to 20, five times he says pray, 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 pray. Pray in the spirit. Pray connected to the Holy Spirit. Pray through the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit groan for you. Pray in the Spirit. All kinds of prayers, all occasions. Pray for all the saints. Pray, 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 pray. That's your access to the weaponry of God. You don't have, it's, I'm not saying you don't do this and it's okay not to do it. Go do this sometime. You don't have to read a tome on spiritual warfare. Here it is. You've got the Word of God and you've got prayer. Now, I know we can go deeper in that. But I'm saying you can get a long way by, here's my suggestion. Here's my thought. Put the two offensive weapons together. Put the two offensive weapons together. Pray the word of God. Pray the word of God. Now pray any way you want to, but I want to say invite invite into your life. How do you battle all this? How do you battle the negative thoughts? I know you're attacked every day with negative thoughts about who you are. Speak back to it out loud, not with your words, but his Pray the Psalms. Pray the promises of God. Every time you read a passage, if there's something that connects with you, stop for a moment and say, God, would you make that true in my life? So here's a simple thing that we did. I love the people I have the opportunity to work with. I went through and and put together this just little tool of truth. It's your identity from the book of Ephesians. It's on the tables out there. Thank you, Lori, so much. Thank you, Bailey, who takes this and makes it visually cool. I went through the book of Ephesians and I wrote down, and we just did a few of them when we did this. By Ephesians. I wrote down every verse starting with an I am statement and then the rest of it is just straight from scripture different translations to capture us this entire card is statements of who you are in Christ now I challenge you encourage you if you want this to be more than oh this is a neat little series we learned a couple things go live it out pray this here's my challenge a simple challenge for you pick one and don't just do it randomly like the Holy Spirit is alive and well and I, I always ask this he preaches so much better than I do Holy Spirit, as we just kind of glance at this even, is there one phrase that God wants you to hear in your life? Is there one of them? Just sink into that and turn it into a prayer. Now that's one challenge. Here's the second challenge. Don't let it end with you. Share it with somebody else in your life. In fact, you, you ready for a super challenge? You are put on the planet to be witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Tell somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Let him be weird. Blame me. Say, one of my leaders of church, he's crazy, and we learned this little thing about who I am in Christ. And I just want to, I know this is weird, but let me tell you this. Can you imagine, I'm just pulling one of them out here. Can you imagine what telling somebody who's serving you? Just look them in the eye and say, look, you're, you're serving here, but I just want you to know you have a cosmic purpose in this world. God created you to make a dent in the universe. You want to tell somebody that? Just say, hey, you might think I'm weird, but I'm just praying that you experience that. Wouldn't that be a blessing? How cool would it be if we didn't just hear a sermon series, we prayed into it and we shared it with somebody else. Just a simple thought. What is all the armor stuff about? It's Paul simply saying this. Listen. You have already everything you need to live out the life God put you on the planet for. You already have it in Christ. So what if we took that preparation and actually lived into it? Last thing I want to think about here. Just go a little bit deeper on this. Just kind of turn it to a challenge for me and for all of us. Here's the thought. All these things that God tells us about who we are, listen to me, hear me. The world needs to know this. There are people that are dying because they don't know who they are. So can we be part of the body of Christ and not perfectly? Can we share it with other people now that we've been prepared by God? We spent seven weeks here having God tell us who we are. What if we just kind of shared that somehow? And I know we are, but let's just think consciously about kind of sharing that and extending it. So so work with me on this image. I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine a young man and a young woman getting ready for prom. Okay? Young man, young woman. So I give you a modern example, and I give you a classic example. Napoleon Dynamite, of course. Getting ready for prom day, right? By the way, can I just say this? It's a metaphor. If you're not a prom person, that's cool. I, I, I don't care. I'm just, can I use a metaphor and we not get it caught up in that? This is not an endorsement for you. I don't care. Is, is it cool? It's a metaphor. Is that right? All right, so we're going to do a metaphor with prom. So imagine with me the time of preparation. I want you to imagine with me, this young man, this young woman, how many hours did they put into getting ready for a night out on the town? Can you smell it, by the way? Can you picture it? So she's up there, she's putting the perfume on, you can smell it all the way downstairs. He's putting on the cologne, smells like a middle school locker room after a football game, right? You can picture, you got it? Picture the hair. I know what you do. I'm looking, glorious hair. Man, you're looking good today, buddy. So picture the hair, right? Get the right haircut, get the right dude, get all that stuff. And with a guy, maybe you're going shave, maybe you're going some little product in the hair, all that. And she's got enough hairspray on to stand up to a Texas tornado. You got the picture? Brush the teeth a little bit, pop in a little gum because you don't want to melt the corsage when you come up to say hi. Think of all the time that goes into the preparation And then he comes over to her house, gives her the corsage, and everything's ready to go. They are dressed to the nines, they're ready to go. And here's the problem: it ends up being a horrible, miserable evening. And the reason it's miserable evening is not because anything goes badly per se, it's just because it's really average and the last thing you want. There's certain times, situations that you don't want it to be average. Your prom night, a big date, is not an average night. You might say, what's the problem? What happened here? I want you to imagine they get there. They're all dressed and ready to go. They got the pictures. And then he sits down on the couch, picks up an Xbox controller, and starts playing games. And she decides to walk in the back room, turn on Amazon Prime, and start binging reruns. She watches it for a while. He plays for a while. She gets tired. They wave at each other. She goes up and goes to bed, and he drives home. You might say, this is crazy, Dean. This would never happen. It would be absolutely absurd, wouldn't it? For people to get all dressed and all ready and go nowhere. Wouldn't it be crazy? Wouldn't it be just absurd if we spent, I don't know, seven weeks looking in a mirror and seeing if we're ready to go and we sit down and do nothing with it? That would be absurd, wouldn't it? Or perhaps an image closer to the text. John Eldridge tells the story of D-Day, the invasion and liberation of France in 1944. And he tells the story of a paratroop group that goes in the night before to get ready for the battle. One of the most important historical battles in the history of the world. To liberate people from freedom. Private in the 506th uh, Airborne Division Goes and he lands and he walks and all of a sudden he hears music and singing from a nearby farmhouse. And when he gets up there, he realizes there's another paratroop group that already got there. And they found liquor in the cellar of the farmhouse. And he said in his words as he journaled this when he came up there, I found them drunker than hillbillies on a Saturday morning. We laugh at that because it's funny, isn't it? But it's not it's tragic and it's absurd to be trained and dressed and ready for battle and sit on the sidelines when the liberation of the world is at stake. That would be absurd, wouldn't it? To spend seven weeks being trained and equipped for who you are on the battlefield of God's word and doing nothing with it would be crazy, wouldn't it? I say this not with guilt at all, but an invitation because churches and Christians do it all the time. We come and we sing and we read and we sit down and do nothing to invite people into the dance of God and to step into the battle. And let me say this as as sternly and as, as clearly as I can say it. The battle, Paul says, is not against people. We're not fighting people. We're not fighting human beings. The enemy is not that politician you hate. The enemy is not that Christian you disagree with. The enemy is not somebody doing stupid, immoral things in the world. The enemy is the one behind all of that, and the people are the ones that need to be rescued. And we're fighting for people, not with people, and churches need to get off the couches and get out of the ring with each other and start fighting the battle in God's world. And this again, this isn't guilt, it's an invitation. It is high time for us to go to the dance and enter the battle. Why? Because people are hanging on for their lives. And I'm not just talking about people out there. I'm talking about those of us in here. And we need the life and the power and the promise of God in our lives. And we need people to show us what that looks like. And we have somebody that's going to do that for us today. A few weeks ago, I preached on the background of this passage, which that text where it says God is able to do super abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. And I didn't get out of the lobby before one of my heroes in the faith, sweet Betty Perkins, came up and said, I've got to tell you about how that verse came alive for me. And she proceeded to tell me a story that was far more powerful than anything I said that day. And I said, the whole church needs to hear this. And that's how we're going to end the series. It's hearing Miss Betty on a video testify to what it looks like When God steps in through the people of God, pulls you back into the dance and fights the battle that you aren't able to fight. By the way, it will open with a shot. By the way, thank you for Kelly Davidson who gives these in beautiful ways, tells the stories for us. He starts on a page from the Bible that has that verse. That's not just anybody's Bible. That's Miss Betty's Bible. You take a look at the screens. A
1: couple of weeks ago, Dean gave a sermon uh, where he used the phrase God is able and when I f- heard that phrase It took me, me back. It took my memory back to 1980 Because I used that same statement those same words almost exactly when I was talking to God and This is my memory. My husband was Marvin. He was a minister and um, He had come home that Thursday afternoon, it was March the 6th, he had come home that Thursday afternoon and said, I don't feel so well. So he laid down and uh, about two hours later, he died from a uh, very severe heart attack. And I was just in shock because we thought Marvin was the healthiest one in our family. And we never expected him to be the first one to leave our family. I didn't know where to turn. We had no insurance. We had no life insurance and no health insurance. And now all of a sudden I realized we also had no income. And uh, I had five children. The two older ones were in college, but I still had three at home. Uh, Laurie was 15, Terry was 13 and Michael was six. And I was just kind of in shock the first couple of days, but about the third or fourth day, I was getting frantic. I didn't know where to turn, I didn't know what to do, I didn't know um, how to get a job. So that night, after I put the three children to bed, uh, I went into my bedroom and I lay down on the floor just stretched out on the floor and talked to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm lying on this floor because that's as low as I can get. And I want you to know, and of course he knew already, but I said, I want you to know that I am as low as I can be today because I'm not able, I am not able to figure all these things out. I have to have a job. We need health insurance. I want to be home with my children. I don't want them to come home to an empty house. I want them to come home to a mama. Um, And I don't know how to make it all work. But God, you are able. You are able. You are able to do way more than I could ever expect or even imagine. And I know that. And you know my heart. And you know that I know that. And so, Lord, I'm... I'm giving this to you. You said in your word, if we have a a problem, give it to God. In Peter, it says, "If if I'm anxious, give it to God. And in Psalms, it says, God cares for you. And if you have a care, give it to God. So I raised my hands towards heaven and said, here, God, this is your problem. I'm giving you this problem. And boy, he took it and went with it. And just a very few days later, I had a job. I had a job with the school system that um, would allow me to be home when my children were home, would allow me to have summers off and holidays when they did, so that I could be home all the time and Michael would never have to be at home by himself. But God does so much more than we can expect or even think of and God did more. He gave me more than just a job. He gave me something better, something special. He gave me people, his people, people. God gave me those people, and they have a name. Their name is church. It's her church, and I love it. I love the a church. I think that they have hearts of gold and hearts for the Lord, and I'm so glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Miss Betty. You praise God for that. Thank you, Miss Betty. You are a you are a living testimony to us of what this passage talks about. Again, I'm not putting these down. You can go read a bunch of manuals if you want. That's Spiritual warfare. Did you see her do it? The darkest time of your life, you took the word of God and you took prayer and you gave it to him. And the people of God didn't sit on the couch and they didn't stay in the cellar. They engaged the battle. She named names, by the way. Jerry Hogan, if you're here, I love you. I love you. She named the AFC students at that time, and person after person, some of the pictures on there. By the way, if you want the longer version, this is the second commercial of the day. Kelly Davidson is going to share the 10-minute version at 5 o'clock in the, uh, in, the, in the Bible class that's there. But again, it's, we celebrate God. Be strong in the Lord and the might of his power. It came out in his people who said, I'm not willing to let Miss Betty stay out of the dance. And he pulled you back in. And I'm not, letting, I'm not letting her fight on her own. By the way, and Miss Betty is engaged in the dance too. And she fought for you, didn't she? She fought for her family. She fought for those children in the school where she taught. And every day she fights the battle, not against people, but for the people of God in this church. And you're still doing it. That is your real identity in Christ. You are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and the world needs that. Father, our prayer is that we would embody in Christ the identity you have already given us and we will fail. And that's why you clothe us not just with stuff, but with a person of your son. Let the world see in us what Miss Betty saw in the time of her life that she needed you most. You showing up in the body of Christ. Make it true for the whole city and for the world. We pray this in Christ. Amen.